Hello, everybody. It's Chris again with the Jump Seat Podcast, and I am with Matt Vaughn, uh, Director of Aviation Security and Cyber for IATA. Welcome to the pod, Matt. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, now, you're you're calling us in from Montreal uh, via Geneva. That's correct. So uh, how is Montreal today going for you? Uh, really good. It's not too cold. The ground is dry, so that always helps. And uh, the construction is never ending. <laughs> yep, that's uh, the Montreal I know and love and yeah. uh, pretty much all of Canada at the moment. Uh, until true. it snows, yeah. they work on all the roads and all that. So uh, you have a very interesting background uh, coming uh, from Australia. Can you talk about how you got into security? Uh, what was your what was your start? Yeah, so... Um, Absolutely. I left the island about 15 years ago, actually, probably longer than that now. Um, cut my teeth in on security in, in law enforcement and okay. uh, was, was lucky to see the world before 9-11 in terms of, you know, national security, law enforcement, um, you know, what the priorities were at that point. Australia is just an island nation, so um, they they weren't necessarily the security challenges of the Middle East and North America and stuff like that. Um, but Australia is also part of the Five Eyes intelligence uh, community type coordination. So I got to see a bit of that before 9-11 and then, you know, kind of the line in the sand, which we all know, um, 20 years last year, which is just incredible when you think, right, where's that time gone? Um and then you know post 9/11, right? And that's that's a different career for a lot of people in in security. That started with traditional law enforcement or military or, or sort of government service type roles. Uh, and very quickly, um, through no fault of my own, uh, the nature of the work sort of you know went down that counterterrorism path, right? And um, given that I was a six foot white guy that couldn't speak anything else other than English. <laughs> Um, counterterrorism and you know being able to uh, sort of culturally cross through a, a number of different um, communities around the world, which uh, are, you know again lucky and fortunate enough that Australia is quite diverse, right, and and right. has a very good um, cultural mix of of now Australians, you know, following World War Two and you know the way that um, most of these colonial countries have have evolved. Uh, I soon realized that um, my perspectives of the world just just weren't cutting it, right? It, you know, how, how could I legitimately be talking about um, you know security issues in a in a foreign part of the world that I've never even been to, right? Or tasted the food? So you're or... telling me your days as a spy ended then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, given that this will be public and someone might be watching, certainly not. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, the long and the short of it is that I I needed to kind of get some hands on in other parts of the world, and right. Australian Foreign Service was not going to give that to me um, at that point in time. Uh, given just, you know, I, I go back to that point, I was just a six foot white guy that could run a hundred meters and, you know, do all the things that 10,000 other guys could do. Um, and so therefore I just needed to create a, a, a different perspective, a different edge. And um, right. so it took a sabbatical and uh, took off, 
landed in the Middle East. Uh, at that time, um, you know, a whole range of security type challenges and opportunities, both corporate, government, dare right. I say, mercenary um, opportunities, right? Depending on uh, what what your flavor was, and um, ended up doing a training course with an airline, a little airline at that time. Uh, had no idea who they were, or what they were doing, and um, at the end of the training course, I was offered a job. And, Excellent. Uh, yeah, and, and totally blindsided by the travel benefits, right? And just kind of went straight to that, and you know, yeah, no worries. Whatever the job is, is what it is. As long as it's not flying an aircraft. Yep. Okay. Good. I'll I'll sign up. Right. And after a year of being completely broke, because you don't realize you you might be able to fly there at at zero cost, but <laughs> You've you know. got to pay for it when you get there. The hotels, <laughs> exactly. the everything. Yeah. No, I've lived that too. Yeah, yeah. So I, <laughs> I you know, kind of wiped myself out for the first year. Um, and then in 2012, I, I, you know, signed off my clearance back home and uh, you know, never looked back. And, you know, here I am today. Excellent. So I wanted to talk about uh, that role that you took. That was with Ithiad, right? That's correct. Yep. And yep. that was head of security. Yep. Now, every single person that I've ever talked to that's had a similar role like that. So mm. my background, I worked for WestJet. I got to know uh, our head of security there mm. quite well. Uh, there are some crazy stories that come with that role. <laughs> so uh, what's, what's your favorite experience that you could share with us that uh, highlights how uh, unique that role could be? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, it's a 24-7 type culture and community right there isn't there isn't sundays um there aren't sort of you know holidays holidays and stuff like that and uh also just given the the period of time um coming out of that you know sort of 9-11 phase and the emergence of various terrorist groups and things like that the the role of some of those gulf countries still remains today incredibly moderate forward thinking type countries and so just their own um, sort of foreign policy agenda was a risk to, to certain parts of people, right? Yeah, so, I guess. And so the the airlines um, were an extension of not just the brand, but but the national um, agenda, right? And and foreign foreign policy agenda. So uh, security wise, I couldn't have asked for a better, you know, hands on, you know, really get yourself. Um, sort of torn up, right? Uh, you know, to a degree that you don't get kidnapped or shot at or anything like that. But um, right. But to think you of you get the experience. You get you absolutely get the experience, right? Um, but to think of a of a story. So Ramadan, uh, 2012, one month before the U.S. ambassador in Benghazi tragically died in a um, in an attack. Uh, which ironically occurred on September 11. But um, right. I was on a freighter aircraft operation into Benghazi Airport. Uh, we were delivering wow. uh, some fast-moving consumables like phones and you know headphones and just some basic um, technology that we kind of take for granted today. And um, there's no instruments at the airport, so you kind of you know, it's visual and you, you actually fly the aircraft and land. And fortunately, I had some wonderful experienced pilots. And uh, I thought that was the day that we were done 
because as soon as we landed and stopped the aircraft, there were literally about 50, 60 armed guys just running for us, running towards the wow. aircraft. And um, they weren't interested in us or the aircraft. They wanted what was in the aircraft. And yeah. to, to my surprise, the catering that was on board. They wanted all the nice sandwiches and orange juices and things like that. So, wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's one of one of a number of different stories, but I thought my day was done and yeah, wasn't the case. So when I asked that question, I was expecting, you know, an unruly guest or an unruly passenger or <laughs> that kind of thing. So you just took it to another level. Okay. So I okay. appreciate that. That's excellent. You I, are I, can do, the... I can do one of them if you like. I mean, there's, there's plenty of them. <laughs> no, that's, that's fantastic. So with that, a lot of people think that uh, being the head of security for, for an airline is that physical security side of it, dealing with the front-facing side of it. Uh, obviously, there's a whole other world there. So uh, in that role, did you experience um, some of the security challenges with technology and, and with the world being so online now? What was that like? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So um, unlike the current role where it is just deeply looking at strategy and policy. You're right. Ahead of an airline is a combination of yeah, frontline tactical type operations, but also right. a bit of strategy and being able to plan what what the next phase looks like. So uh, I, I keep saying the word lucky a lot, and it really is the case, right? It's it's not through my doing, right? It, it, I just happen to be Johnny on the spot, but I worked for an organization that had a very good pipeline of um, aircraft procurement, right? Next yeah. generation aircraft procurement, right? And so the the adage being what, what we just called E-enabled aircraft, right? So it, it went from the traditional uh, sort of hydraulics, electrical-based um, flight control systems to what we call, you know, digital E-enabled IP-based um, uh, tech, you know, flying technologies that that uh, we just take for for granted now, right? So, um, basically, the, computers with uh, the ability to transport people. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, when you look at something like the flight management system and the use of um, iPads as a uh, replacement from the old weight and balance, you know, manual right. calculation kind of thing. Um, the integration of sort of our day-to-day -day technology, you know, just as people into the flight deck, uh, yeah, that that was really really different, right, and totally cool. And I, I I saw the satcom days, right, and you know, when you asked me about a story, I was flying in business class once, and um, I got called to the cockpit to answer a call that the cockpit had had received in regards to another security issue on another flight, right? And wow. so I remember everyone in business class kind of looking at me going, who's this guy? Like, <laughs> Yeah, and, getting up, going yeah, to see the... Yeah. Yeah, getting up and going to the cockpit, right? And um, and just even cockpit access control is a, is a highly sensitive, regulated um, type, type policy, right? So... So I, you know, I saw the days of Satcom to where we are now, where some of the in-flight entertainment, the connection is better than my terrestrial, you know, 
home entertainment system like just yeah. incredible broadband connectivity right and the bandwidth is amazing so um uh and if we get into some of the the cyber and um you know vulnerability type discussion we you know that that may be another podcast but um we can we can <laughs> we can touch upon some of those aspects for sure and that kind of leads to your current role now so director of aviation security and cyber for IATA. Uh, IATA, of course, uh, the standard that most airlines look to when they're when they're coming up with those guidelines and, and those yep. kind of norms that airlines uh, across the world abide by. Uh, how's that been and what's that like? If you could tell me a little bit about your current role now. Yeah, so uh, as the title kind of infers, right, it's... Um just sort of universal international coordination on um, setting baseline um, standards, compliance, risk management uh, in the way that you do physical and digital um, security, right? Um, and it's 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 closely linked with safety and you know flight operations and things like that. And uh, I I had such a great time in the Middle East that I, I knew it to be a waste. And I know this sounds really contrite but just just go with me but and it really it is true so you know I, I stand by my every word but i i wanted to take those experiences and try and put that into a broad um set of guidance or standards or practice you know best practices that the rest of the industry could could leverage right you know right. Whether, whether that be an obligation or voluntary that that was up to them, right? That that's totally, totally what it what it was about. And so, little did I know, though, that um, to create change in civil aviation is almost generational, right? It is yes, such an old school, you know, status quo, um, sort of underbelly kind of culture there that uh it's it's harder to get out than in right <laughs> kind of kind of analogy right so um so i've been here you know over five five and a half years now and only now do i i actually if you were to ask me you know what have you achieved what have you done i could probably list two or three things um that you will feel different in the industry about today right and that that's been five and a half years so um you know d different different set of responsibilities that's for sure well, that's, that's kind of great of you to tee up my next question that actually works out really well. Uh, what are those accomplishments? So thank you for asking. That's great. <laughs> we have uh, made some pretty cool adjustments at the uh, sort of Chicago convention, right? The, the international. Yeah. Uh, we've made some adjustments to uh, policy standards that were imbalanced between industry and sort of and, and governments. Uh, we took advantage of um, everyone being home in 2020, right? And so government's priorities were elsewhere. And so we were able to remove some of administrative, um, just old, again, you know, using the phrase pre 9-11 security practices that just had no value whatsoever, right? Right. In, in fact, you know, the, the time and effort and cost that was being spent on that, um, you know, just is is now reflowed into other areas so that uh, in terms of iata's overall mission that was a, at least 10 to 11 12 years in the making right and then i, I was able to come in and just kind of motivate that a, a little quicker and 
Um, right. The second one is um, we we just released a open source uh, data collection tool, with which you know open source intelligence is not brand new, neither is machine learning, but put those two together and then create an aviation ontology, right? You know, so apples and apples, you know, we're both in aviation, so we can talk in acronyms all day long, right? Right. But but do that in a way that airlines and the wider industry can leverage open source, bit of machine learning, um, and and almost, I, I, don't, I don't want to create this catchphrase, but, but do the Google for aviation security, right? And so we, we just released this, online tool. I, I did a proof of concept in 2020. Uh, I nearly lost my hair trying to get the budget and the funding for it, but we, we managed <laughs> to get it through. And it's on a cost recovery type basis, right? And um, right. Uh, so, you know, anyone can subscribe and within 60 seconds, they're online. They've, they've got oodles and oodles of OSI reporting uh, that they can leverage and, and embed into their risk assessment um, type processes. So, um yeah that there's two I, I can go to a third if the rhetoric of three works better for you i, I can do that <laughs> <laughs> i like the way you phrase that where would somebody find that open source uh document now? so iata.org is really the best way iata.org and then when you look down in the programs you'll see aviation security and it, and it takes you straight into that so um or when you go about promoting this i'll give you the url and you know you can perfect you can for for those that are listening we will definitely uh link that in the show notes uh so you're able to find that uh information as you see fit yeah so what uh, my next question is about uh where do you see the biggest challenges coming uh at airlines um as we enter the next stage of this world you know i i know there's a, a lot more talk about cyber warfare when it comes to countries mm. and it doesn't necessarily go from nation to nation. It's, yep. it's industry based now. And, mm. and that's a huge challenge for companies that aren't prepared. Yeah. So where do you see the threats and the vulnerabilities coming from the airline sector and what should our listeners be aware of on what they need to be uh, thinking about now? So digital evolution, absolutely. Right. Um, right. You know, the old adage for for all for three good things there's always one drawback right you know kind of kind of thing so right. the the difference now in the the sort of digital space is uh what you did today as a control and um you know an identifier may not be relevant tomorrow right so in the in the counterterrorism space of 20 years ago you could apply some pressure here and it might pop up over here um, but you at least had some time, and the old adage that, or the cliche that they would, you know, they talk about was this time to bang, right? You know, which which is days, hours, and years, right? And the way that you radicalize and you know do one, two, three kind of thing. Well, in the digital space, there's no time to bang. No, it's, it's there. It's on. Yeah. Right? There's no jurisdiction. So that that's a big one for for aviation, right? Understanding we, you know, the Chicago Convention is completely constructed around understanding that there are 193 states that sign that convention, and therefore you essentially have 193 versions of how to do things. Well, right. in digital, but, that's got nothing to do with it, right? So, yeah, <laughs> you know, it it so, and I think again, just using the threes that. 
the final piece is um, don't worry about the workforce today. You know, we're done, right? In in being able to get ready for the 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 the, the sort of opportunities and the vulnerabilities that are ahead. How do we get the kids ready? Right. Yeah. You know, how how do you make digital literacy or cyber literacy in the same way that we did math, science, and English, right? For example, right? How how do you embed that into their curriculum and their their education so that you've just got a fighting chance, you know, further further down the track. Um, and so my I guess my last point on that is I'm also very clear to say to people that aviation right now as a sector is not directly under attack right where it there's digital interference you know ransomware is the the thing of the day yeah. right now but it, it that could change pretty quick right because if if some of these criminals and state actors and whoever you know if some of if some of that group start to learn just how seemingly vulnerable the aviation sector is, then we're really up against it. But today, today yeah. it's not quite there, right? They they are getting quick wins, really good economic outcomes in a whole range of sectors that just happen to involve uh, aviation operators, right? Entities yeah. of entities of aviation, uh, and it's really in the IT space. It hasn't crossed over into operational technology, right? Aircraft. Air, air navigation systems, maintenance—you know all all the different um, pieces that that come with operating, you know, airlines. Right. It reminds me a little bit of uh, pandemic planning when you when you worry about a coming virus or a coming disease. It's tough to spend money yeah. and energy and time yeah. to plan for it. Yeah. And then when it's there, it's too late, you yeah. seem overwhelmed. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. So. Would that be your recommendation to spend that time now preparing for uh, some of the scenarios that don't seem you're, on tomorrow's doorstep? If that makes sense, you're you're absolutely right. It's you know it's the selling a negative, right? You know, pre- prepare prepare for a short loss today or a cost, which you know could be a hundred times if you don't do it tomorrow, kind of thing, right? What right. I would what I would say is the executive or leadership that would ultimately fund resource this appropriately. Uh, at least in aviation, we are bundling risk together, right? And we're going to leaders and saying, look, I need to incentivize this. I need you to fund this. I need to resource this. Risk is risk. Well, okay. In the physical world, you could probably get away with that, right? Safety yeah. risk in the cabin versus the hold of an aircraft. All right, I, I get that, right? But in digital risk, that's that's off the to me that's off the table. It has to be, you know, we're coming to a board or a chief executive or whatever it is, and we're saying, look, got a set of digital risks here. I've helped prioritize. I need funding, resource, you know, support for these kind of. If I can lock them up. I can then start to, you know, reduce the contagion on other other parts, and so, uh, you know, to put that in practical sense, um, you know, cloud computing, you know, un- understanding um, privacy conditions around, you know, and ju- and again back to the jurisdiction piece on on basic cloud computing, yeah. um, and then to put that in the operational realm, uh, one of my favorite ones, you know, the maintenance laptop 
that connects to uh, 737, 787, for example, right? Uh, and right. so the aircraft flies around with the laptop in the cockpit that it knowingly <laughs> can be gets taken out, yeah. right? And, and that's that's a flight safety critical piece of technology. So, uh, and because I know a little bit about it, um, at least when it's delivered and certified, it's cyber safe, right? Or if actually, sorry, I've used a phrase I shouldn't have. It's cyber resilient. <laughs> resilient. There you yeah, go. Yeah. So now I know what's going to be keeping me up at night based yeah. on that last comment. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> why don't I bring it to a little bit of a hopeful, uh, hopeful part of it? Have you seen the industry respond in kind? And is there, do you think that people are taking threats seriously and, and taking steps now? Have you seen that response yet? Uh, <sighs> Yeah, I mean the, the the national carriers absolutely right? right. They've in some ways probably got no choice, right? Um, yeah. But you know, to be completely transparent, there we still have a, a long road to go, right? We still have work to do um, to to sort of create a, a firewall or a proverbial firewall, if you like, where we're all on the same page, and then your defense starts from there. Right, and right. We're, we're we're just not there, and actually there we yet. we may never get there. Right, so in terms of sort of our mission, it really is about safety of flight, right, and focusing on that aircraft right. piece, um, which therefore brings in the the supply chain before certification, right, before systems and firmware and hardware are certified. Um, and then you you achieve that airworthiness, and then how do you maintain that airworthiness going going forward? So, what we have seen though is that most airlines that are operating, actually, if not all, that are operating e-enabled aircraft, do have a pretty good cyber plan for right. that. Right. Right. Uh, kind of comes with the territory. Yeah, that, that absolutely, yeah. But yeah, but if your website goes down or it's you know been taken from you but you've got a cyber resilient aircraft um in terms of customer sentiment it doesn't take long to kind of connect that and go oh yeah you know, absolutely should i be flying on that one right or 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 in one recent case you know pilot training records on the dark web should 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 oh. i be you know fly? so there's still a bit of learning to go on how that um perceptions correlate and you know what that means in terms of customer sentiment, shareholder um, confidence, and all the different bits. Right. Wow, you've given me a lot to think about, and I'm now <laughs> looking at every password I've ever had, and making sure it's long <laughs> enough now. So that's yeah. that's great. Uh, one question I wanted to ask before we leave: we're we're kind of up for time here, but uh, you know, I've asked this of every podcast uh, guest that I've had, and I'm interested in your answer because you are collecting air miles quite quickly here. Um, That's a good point. So living in Australia, living in the Middle East, uh, living in Geneva, living in Montreal, where's your favorite place to go? If uh, You said that you burnt up all your money in that first year of working yeah. for aviation. <laughs> so where should our listeners go next? Uh, you mean in terms of a holiday or a... Um... I'm leaving that up to you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a really good question. So, it, as an Australian, I should probably never ever say this, but 
uh, I'll do it because it's it's on it's going to be on record, and I know my New Zealand <laughs> friends will love it. But New Zealand is absolutely a place. Auckland, um, you know, Christchurch, just get to New Zealand. It, it's a magical, magical country. Um, and then the other one, I think, if if anyone can ever get the chance to go, is northern northern Iraq, right up, really? up there. Yeah, Kurdistan. Just uh, kind of, it, it's it's not the cradle of man. We all know that's that's Babylon in Baghdad, but um, right. the Kurdistan region between sort of Turkey, Iran, uh, and some of those other northern states are oh, just amazing. Like the incredible, um, incredible landscape and people and hospitality and all, all that sort of stuff that goes with it. So, I believe in my lifetime that that could become. A destination in the same way we treat, you know, the Greek islands and, you know, Cyprus yeah. and Malta and some of these fantastic, Morocco. Medi- yeah, Morocco. Yeah. Right? So, it's, I, you know, I, I absolutely believe at some point that'll become, you know, kind of the some of those choice locations. Excellent. That is a fantastic answer to that question, and probably yeah. the the most off the beaten path answer I've gotten. It's not Hawaii cool. or, <laughs> or, or places like that. Cancun. Yeah, exactly. Cabo well, Saint Lucas. <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for spending some time with us, uh, and um, I look forward to continuing uh, conversations with you in the future yeah. and having you back on the pod uh, at a later date. Sounds great, Chris. Uh, absolutely. Got a couple of topics there we can we can segue into. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for listening to The Jump Seat. Catch the next episode on your favorite streaming platform and follow us on LinkedIn at Flight.